Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. On your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hello, friends. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along rolling into the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey is out today. There will be no Pringles shenanigans on this afternoon's edition of Sports Talk Mississippi. We had some fun yesterday, all of us in the Jackson studio we're glad to have you along. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, what's up on a Friday? Oh, just trying to navigate through this new Twitter update. So I, It's so awful. And not 90%, but most of the, we can call it research, that I do for this show, most of the work that I do starts with Twitter. I make sure I follow all the right people and uh, websites and stuff, and so anytime there's something interesting that I can bring to the show, I 90% of the time see it on Twitter first. Okay. So I'm on it a lot, obviously. And they updated it, and it looks like crap. And it's hard to navigate, and I might have to find another way to prepare for this show every day. All right, I've got a question. So I noticed this earlier on, like, Twitter on my phone. I mean, I guess I've got the Twitter app on my phone. So if I'm just on the home screen, then at the top it says latest, but it now has, like, a deal where you can scroll to the left. What are the other two columns? Latest... It shows NSD. Yeah, see, I have no idea. Yours is different than mine because mine doesn't look like that. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't it stupid? Hey, what? If it's not broke, don't fix it, right? You've heard that since you were a young child. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, they broke it by trying to fix it. So is it just like on Twitter.com? Yeah, the phone app. Where it looks different to you? Phone app is okay. It's the desktop that's a problem for me. Yeah, I don't even know what's different here. And, uh, it does say there's a sneak peek. And see, mine's anyway. full-blown full, full blown changed, and they do this, like, not everybody will have to deal with it at once. They kind of test drive it, and I guess I'm one of those lucky people that gets the test drive, and 90% of what I do for my job throughout the day okay. has been altered. And so I'm now frustrated on this Friday afternoon. Hey, Dad, Borky went with the complain route right out of the gate. What's up with you on a Friday? I have an actual serious question. Okay. Has anybody checked on Rippy? Uh, I talked with him last night. I've not spoken with him today, but I have oh, seen okay. online activity. Okay. Well, I've seen online activity, so we know he's alive. Okay. I was worried. He, I was, like, I was he, didn't, he didn't get his insides splintered by Pringle fragments, <laughs> at least not that we know of. I'm going to tell you that everybody I, uh, who has reached out to me about that video all said the same thing. Hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty so, funny. It I good. called him last night on the uh, the drive home and 
one, just made sure he was doing okay, and he was. And I said, I, I did pull up the uh, video and watch it some of it as I was driving down the road or kind of listened to it, and I laughed as hard <laughs> the second time around as I did when it was happening in real time. If you missed it yes, If you missed it yesterday, we spent – we were on something good, hey, Dad. Yeah. and Talking about quarterbacks, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Oh, I'm Seven not. Bites. Because I said hey, – Richard, we lost you there for a second – um, right as you were about to tell exactly why we're talking about Rippy and Pringles. So maybe just oh. start all over. All right, so I'll try again. We um, And there's some weather issues today, so I don't know if that's messing with the phone lines or not. Um, no, we, we yesterday, Rippy claimed that he could eat an entire can of Pringles in his words, quote, like three bites. Well, that turned into a small wager with Palmer Home as the beneficiary we ended up adjusting the wager. Because- yeah, must be uh, must be weather. We'll try to get that fixed here in the break. But um, so it turned into four and a half, and then he didn't like four and a half at the beginning, so he moved it to seven. And I think it took him eight, right? Uh, you know, he got it done in seven. He was seven yeah, was the it had last to be- bite. It did have to be under, but he got there. He did get there, Richard. We got you back now again. We uh, weather's knocking you off, I guess. Lovely. That'll be fun to uh, deal with this afternoon. We'll make an adjustment uh, in the break, and hopefully it'll be easier to uh, to deal with. So because he did it in seven, it was a push, and we agreed to both make a uh, Palmer Home contribution. It was fun, and it was it funny. Was a, it was a lot of fun. Good show yesterday. It's going to be a good show today, too. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with the uh, the quarterback debate. Yeah, it's a conversation that, uh, that got started yesterday. Um we, I don't, it's either a great idea or a terrible idea, but it certainly is one that I think is going to lead to a, uh, a fair amount of interaction. We're going to try and put together an all time Mississippi college football team. And I don't know if we started with the easiest position or the most difficult position, but the idea is at least at the skill positions or where we're able to, we're going to narrow it down and have some Twitter polls where you get to vote on who you think is the best at a a given position. And we're going to narrow it down to four quarterbacks. So in the history of college football in the state of Mississippi, who are the four best quarterbacks? And then we'll vote. And the top vote-getter will be our first team, and the second vote-getter will be our second team quarterback all time. And there there, there were some, maybe one or two, that were really obvious that were going to be in the top four, but a ton of debate and a ton of dissenting opinions uh, about who the top four quarterbacks are all time. Because yeah, you're talking- do not ever again, or at least I'm learning, mention that Brett Favre's college career wasn't great because, oh my lord, what you have coming your way if you say something like that. Yeah, but the numbers back up that argument. Now, they do. From a- from a winning standpoint and some pulling off some miraculous wins and the beginning of the legacy, all of those things are true about Brett Favre, but if you're just looking purely at numbers, the numbers that he put up, were uh, they're nowhere close to the numbers that have been put up by others, including a couple of other Southern Miss quarterbacks I'm, I'm who gonna, we didn't I'm initially gonna... bring up, but we added to the conversation with Austin Davis and Nick Mullins. I'm, I'm going to argue this point when we get to it. About about the numbers. Okay, I just I, I'm gonna I want to go back to sort of what you were saying yesterday about the 65 Alabama team versus Clemson. 
You know, we, it's tough to compare the eras. They, they just football's just so different now. The pass wasn't as valuable, you know, when Brett Favre or Reggie Collier or, or any of those guys were playing football. So I think we may have to, you know, do a little bit more of an eye test for this than just rely okay. on the stats by itself. But the it's not. So what do you mean the era is different? Because he well, I mean, still completed. I mean, Fewer yeah, than ten yeah. percent. I mean, more than ten percent less passes than a Prescott but, or a Manning. But how many how many bubble screens and quick throws were he was he making? Almost everything he probably threw was intermediate to deep routes. He you know he they just, the short passing game wasn't a part of football in nineteen eighty eight nineteen eighty nine. It just wasn't. It wasn't. Well, not as much as it is now. We're going to bring some other voices into this to talk about it a little bit. David Brandt from the Associated Press that covers college athletics in the state of Mississippi will join us. Uh, we're also going to talk with Luke Johnson a little bit and uh, kind of get his perspective as a guy that played at Southern Miss. Who, who are the guys from Southern Miss that really should be in that conversation? Is Brett Favre one of the best four quarterbacks of all time in the state of Mississippi? to play college football, does Nick Mullins deserve to be there? Does Austin Davis deserve to be there? Does Reggie Collier deserve to be there? What What do you do with Archie Manning versus Eli Manning? Where does Chad Kelly Is there anybody not named Dak Prescott that played quarterback at Mississippi State that should be part of this? Is there any argument against Steve McNair? What about Willie Totten? Is he a guy going and looking at his numbers? They are absolutely spectacular. One of the best passers ever in Division One AA, and obviously had, um, you know, maybe the greatest receiver of all time that he was throwing to. And uh, I'm sure there's a name or two that I, I didn't miss. I mean, if you go to a different era altogether, what about a Charlie Connerly at Ole Miss? What about a Jake Gibbs at Ole Miss? Um, Adam Schaffer is a name that's popped up uh, through some people that are kind of interacting with us online. He threw for nearly 10,000 yards uh, in his career at Mississippi College. So a bunch of names to get to, and we'll kind of uh, go through some of those. Got some other stuff to get to as well, including keeping you up to date on the Women's World Cup quarterfinal going on right now in Paris, France and the United States. The United States scored less than five minutes into the match. Um it was a penalty kick that was outside the box, and uh, Megan Rapino fired one through traffic and was able to score early. There's been no blood since, though. Were you watching it, hey, Dad, when she scored early? Well, wasn't watching, but I've seen the highlight, and you know, great play by her, uh, for sure. I mean, she's, she's really been playing well throughout this World Cup. Um, what's the most iconic play? In Mississippi college football in the last decade, is there a play that stands out for you that is head and shoulders among the rest? Major League Baseball is headed to London this weekend with uh, perhaps its two most recognizable teams. 100 teams in 100 days. Random baseball stat for you coming up as well. It's going to be a fun Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Friday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. I'm going to talk quarterbacks in the state of Mississippi a good bit this afternoon. Looking forward to doing that with you. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. That number is 601 
601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395 for you to jump in and join the conversation. You can also send us a tweet on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Um, you guys going to do anything fun this weekend? Uh, I might grill out this weekend. I got this is the first weekend without MSU sports, you know, since since football season, basically, more or less, S- since September first. So, yeah, basically, we've got some freedom now, buddy. I'm uh, I know gonna stop by the Mississippi Braves game tonight. Sit in the nice. nice little Super Talk seats they got for us with our our name. Well, not our individual names, but they've got the name Super Talk on the seats. Kind of cool. And then I'm gonna wake up about 4 a.m. and smoke a brisket all day. Going to be like the most dad weekend possible, but that's fine with me. That sounds pretty good. I have to go shopping this weekend because. Hey, two nil. Oh, all right. There we go. There you go. Big match for uh, Megan Rapino. Score again. She did. Oh wow. Sixty fourth minute. Very beautiful. Beautiful. 2-0, United States leading it over France. Five goals in four matches in the Women's World Cup for Megan Rapino. She's been a little bit uh, controversial over the last few days, but uh, who cares about that right now? It's just about beating France. That's right. That's all I'm worried about right now. Um, what are you going to cook on the grill? Hey, Dad? I don't know. I'll have to think about that. I-, I like to put some thought into it. The brisket sounds good. I don't have a, a good smoker. Otherwise, I, w- I would be right there with him. So we'll probably, I might actually grill something rather than you know do like a full barbecue. No, don't blame me. I'm just I'm big on just throwing burgers on the grill. I know that yeah. sounds boring and easy and whatever, but I don't do a whole lot to them. A little bit of Worcestershire and a little bit of Lowry's on both sides, just Perfect. enough flavor, but not not too much. Yeah. And do them on the grill, and it's great. Yeah, so, sounds good. We did that one night. Uh, I'll think about it, but but I got to go shopping because you know we have media days in a few weeks, right? I own one pair of slacks. One. I got to get some slacks so I don't you know look like a big bum next to you know the the always dapper Richard Cross. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, but, but this should be exciting though. I mean, you got to go get new pants that fit. That's true. That's true. I didn't. They'll be, they'll be a, a maybe a size size or two smaller. There you go. Good uh, good stuff. Yeah, I do like that. All right, let's jump in and and talk a little bit about this quarterback debate. We we spent some time yesterday on this and then we got distracted by the uh, Pringle consumption by <laughs> Rippy. I don't know if it's a distraction or diverting our attention into something better, but you know, however you want to spin it. Well, ne- nevertheless, I spent a bunch of time on the drive home last night thinking about what we talked about with Chad Kelly and whether or not you felt better about Chad Kelly being on the list than Eli Manning. And, hey, Dad, you, you made the argument that, okay, the the offense that the two guys played in was a little bit different. And when you said – your point was if you had to have a game-winning drive, that Eli Manning is the guy you would trust to direct a game-winning drive. And I certainly think there's something to that. Although I can't help but wonder if what Eli Manning has done in the NFL 
kind of shades the way you look at him in a two-minute drive situation as opposed to Eli Manning, the college quarterback. That's possible. That's possible. But Manning had some big wins. I mean, he beat Auburn. Uh, his, uh, his, I guess that would have been his senior year in 2003 with a, with a late drive. Right. Um, I mean, he, he, you know, he had big games. You know, his career is sort of – it's not marred at all. The guy's a legend. But, you know, the, the LSU game, that's not his fault what happened there. So, yeah, for me, Eli Manning, the body of work – I mean, we keep going back to Chad Kelly, and, yeah, he had that fantastic season, but that's a season. And for a career, give me Eli Manning. Yeah, and, and I think what it came down to, because I, I've kind of come around on this, because my initial reaction was, hold on, are we selling Chad Kelly short by not having him in this? Because, again, of what you said, it was it was two years, but the second year was cut short. It was only nine games in the second season. Right. With Eli Manning, you were talking about a three-year starter, a couple of bowl games. There was a Cotton Bowl that was mixed in, uh, obviously a Should win in the Cotton Bowl. bowl to, uh, it should have been, absolutely. And in the even, current even SEC, it would have been. One. Yeah, sure. And, and and in this current SEC, it would have been three games, but there weren't yeah. as many bowl tie-ins in 2003 as you've got now. But as I thought about it more and more, I, I, I'm not necessarily going to give in to your argument just because of the potential for a game-winning drive. Mm-hmm. I think the overall decision-making with Eli Manning, you would feel better about on a consistent basis. Like he's going to put the ball in the right place, get it to the right guy, not make the big blunder more often than you might get with Chad Kelly. Although I think the upside for playmaking ability with Chad Kelly is a little bit higher. I think I agree with you on Eli Manning. And again, we're talking about a top five passer in the history of the SEC. So it's not like the numbers don't back it up also. Right. All right. So so we we have so we've whittled our list to to is that all four? Do we have our four? Well, I think we no, have three. I, mean, I, I think that I think well, oh, okay, hold on. I think that gives us two without debate now. Okay. That Steve McNair and, and Eli, Eli Manning are two of the four. Okay. Make the argument for me for Dak Prescott. <sighs> Again, great career. I think he's uh you know, you mentioned Chad Kelly's season of having the top was behind Manziel. He had the, the, the number one season behind Manziel's two. Dak has the next two. His junior and senior seasons are, are right there. Uh, fantastically accurate passer, um, great runner. Uh, the, the, the 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 mark on his record to me, if and I've said this before on on my podcast many times, is. He didn't beat Ole Miss. He beat him once, and and that was a game he didn't start. Obviously, he sort of came in and got the win in relief. If you want to make a baseball mm-hmm. oxymoron to it, um, oxymoron is not the right word. Analogy, um, analogy. Yeah, but I think with, with with Prescott, sort of the same thing that that Archie has at Ole Miss, even though we're sort of we're leaving him off this list for now. That he is he's the man. He's the icon. He is the greatest player by, in Mississippi State's football history by a whopping large margin. He's beloved. He's got great numbers. He won some big games. Uh, he elevated the program. Uh, I think. I think. And, you know, and if, sort of what we're talking about with Eli. You know, the same thing's true. He's he's been a lot better as a pro than people thought he was going to be. Uh, so I mean, obviously, what you saw in college wasn't a fluke. So you know, if I had to make the case for Dak Prescott, it's that he's far and away the greatest player in Mississippi State history, and, and he, he definitely deserves to be on this list. 
And, and, and hey, Dad, or, or Borky, don't you think the numbers back it up also? I mean, the, the passing numbers are there. He became a more efficient and a more accurate passer as his career went along. And maybe because Nick Fitzgerald followed him up, I think we forget how dangerous a runner Dak Prescott was. Now, he was a, a, a runner in a Dan Mullen offense is different than a Johnny Manziel or even an Archie Manning type runner. There was a lot of lower your head and go get me the first down, and then if you happen to break a tackle, now there's open field because the defense has got the box packed in. There was a lot of that that you saw with Dak Prescott, and certainly there was a lot of that that you saw with Nick Fitzgerald because of the strength and the size. But, again, you know, total package, a bunch of touchdown passes, not a lot of interceptions, the ability to run the ball and be a, a dangerous playmaker with his legs, and I think the passing numbers justify. So so I can be on board with those three. So we've got Steve McNair, who's the unquestioned guy that's there, yeah, and then Eli Manning, and then Dak Prescott, but then you got to pick a fourth. And that, to me, is where it gets really, really difficult. Because what we're trying to do is just narrow this down to four so that ultimately we can whittle the list to two. Yeah, we'll let the listeners deal with that other two thing, though. <laughs> That's not our problem. So who would your fourth be? The options are Chad Kelly, Brett Favre, Reggie Collier, Archie Manning, Willie Totten, Jake Gibbs, Adam Schaffer from Mississippi College, um, Nick Mullins, Austin Davis, maybe others that we're not even thinking of. We'd love to hear from you either on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, or uh, perhaps uh, you could um, hit us on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. We'll talk with David Brandt from the AP about this when we continue Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Rippy's out today, so it's me, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. David Brandt joins us from the Associated Press. Covers primarily college athletics in the state of Mississippi. By the way, France just got on the board. Now 2-1, to one, United States leading it over France in the 80th minute of the Women's World Cup quarterfinal match that's happening in Paris. Great scene for that match uh, that, is, uh, that is happening. DB, what's up, man? What's up? How are you? Great. Happy to uh, be rolling into the weekend and appreciate you giving us a few minutes of, uh, of your time this afternoon. So we, we started this idea yesterday, and we're going to kind of roll over the next two or three weeks with it, trying to put together an all-time college football team in the state of Mississippi. And it's not an easy task. We know that there are really, really good players that have played at Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Southern Miss and Jackson State and Alcorn State and Mississippi Valley State, and we just decided we'd start with the easiest position. You know, we, we we would just start with the quarterback spot, 
<laughs> and try and narrow it down. Yeah, we we would try to narrow it down to four, and then we would try to whittle, whittle it down to a first team and a second team, and we'll let the listeners do that. So let's just start big picture before we get into the individual guys. Off the top of your head, four best college quarterbacks not taking their pro careers into account at all in Mississippi college football history. Oh gosh, that's such a great question. I was I really wrestled with this all afternoon. I'm going to go the top 4 Prescott, Archie Manning, Eli Manning and Steve McNair. Okay. Give me a little rationale. Well, I was I was looking at it and looking at like Heisman voting and stuff like that cuz I think you you judge quarterbacks by you know, against their peers, and I think one way to do that, it's not the only way, but if they were included in the Heisman voting, you remember, um, you know, Dak was in the running. I think he finished like seventh or eighth that year, but he was still in the running. Archie, of course, finished in the top five twice. Um, Eli was in the running. You know, McNair had all that hype at the, at the time that he was there, too. Obviously, I'm leaving out Brett Favre. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously I didn't follow Southern Miss back in the late 80s, but his stats really, when you go back and look at them, aren't that amazing. Um, he was always kind of a toolsy guy, could could throw those amazing throws, and I understand why he was so highly regarded. But because um, it, it's hard to compare across eras, because obviously, you know, even somebody like Chad Kelly or Nick Mullins or Austin Davis um, has huge numbers compared to somebody like you know, an Archie Manning, especially passing. But, um, right. you know, just off the top of my head, compared to their eras and what they did to raise the level of their programs, I would say, and probably, I don't know, in that order, Dak, Archie, and then McNair and Eli kind of tied for third. That that's certainly an interesting way to look at it. And this is such a subjective conversation because it's a go, what do you value? Is it numbers? Is it era? Is it ability to lead a team? Is it ability to win games or lead comebacks? You mentioned the Heisman voting. One name you didn't throw out there, and I, I don't know how much consideration you gave to, is Willie Totten. Satellite Totten, who was a first team All American in nineteen eighty four. He set fifty division one double A passing records. Team averaged 59 points per game. He had 58 touchdown passes in one season and has the second most passing yards in 1AA history with almost 13,000 passing yards. And there was some guy named Rice who was on the uh, the receiving end of those passes. Oh, sure. And I thought about Willie a little bit, too, and obviously those numbers. I love the nickname of the offensive linebacker, the tons of fun. Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> if, if you went with Willie Totten in the top four, I would not argue with that. The numbers are huge. Again, it's always hard to compare, you know, one double A numbers to, you know, FBS, what we call it now and stuff like that. Obviously, it's a, it's a little bit, you know, different level of competition. But, of course, back then the SWAC was, was awesome. Um, so Willie was doing it against some good teams. I, I wouldn't have an argument there if you put that in there. Um you know, I, I think he would be kind of in that group just outside the, the top four, but certainly in the discussion. Hey, Dad, you want to jump in? Yeah, I'm, I just wonder, you know, David, 
Are we really doing a disservice to some of the older quarterbacks? You know, you mentioned Archie, um, but, you know, guys like Jake Gibbs and Charlie Connolly at Ole Miss, maybe Jackie Parker, John Bond at State, Reggie Collier at at Southern. Uh, Are are we doing those guys a disservice? Because, like you said, you know, the numbers are so different for what the passing game is now versus then. Probably. I mean, it's just so hard to compare eras. I thought about Reggie Collier a lot, too. Obviously, he was so good. You talked about Jake Gibbs and, and just different, you know, when obviously running the ball was bigger. Um, you know, you could get somebody like uh, Langston Rogers on here, the longtime Ole Miss SID, and I'm sure he would fight hard for some of those guys. Um, I, I just think back then, I don't know. It's it's just hard to compare. It's like It's like comparing the best NBA players and Throwing in somebody like George Mikan, you know, from the yeah. from the 50, you know, he was obviously <laughs> great for that era, but like, I don't know how you really compare it. So, you know, for me, the modern era kind of starts in the '60s and everything, you know, with with probably the late '60s with Archie, and then kind of moves forward. So, I, I think you're right. There's an argument to be made for those guys, but uh, I don't know. I, I just think the quarterback position, the way it's constructed now, especially in how it's progressed over the last. 30, 40, 50 years, it's just it's so important, maybe even more important than it was back then. Although, I mean, it's always important. It's the guy who handles the ball. But it, like you said, it's all subjective. Hey, hey, Dad, I'm sure that our buddy John Bond appreciates you putting in this, him in the same age group as uh, Charlie Connerly and uh, Jake Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> when you said some of the older guys. Hey, hey, man. John Bond was, is the first MSU quarterback I can like actually remember. Uh, he was the, the, the David, first guy for me. David, if I said you can only pick one of the two Mannings, it's either Archie Manning or Eli Manning, going to the to, to their stats, there's really not even a debate. But I think I heard you say earlier that you would pick Archie Manning second behind Dak Prescott if you were putting them in order. Why does Archie get the nod for you over Eli? You know, I, I just think that Archie had the big moments. You know, the, the Sugar Bowl win, obviously. He's kind of a, a transcendence, not that that's probably a little too high of praise. But he was he was just a quarterback that kind of, if you remember that era, some of those games he did, you know, were stuff that people hadn't seen much of before. You know, the type of numbers. And, and what Eli did was really good, but by that point, a lot of, you know, quarterbacks were putting up those types of numbers. Eli was really good at it. He obviously raised Ole Miss's level of play and really kind of brought them, you know, back into the national consciousness a little. I, I just think what Archie did was slightly more impressive. Uh, again, you know, it's kind of potato-potato, but I, I just go Archie. I think he was just more of a, a trendsetter for that era than maybe Eli was for his era. And Eli Manning is still top 10 all-time passing in the SEC. He slipped down to number 9 as some of the newer passing offenses have allowed guys to uh, pass him. Aaron Murray, the all-time leading passer in the SEC. Then Drew Locke, who just finished up at Missouri. David Green from Georgia. Chris Leak from Florida. Peyton Manning at number 5. Then it's Eric Zier, Danny Werfel, Jared Lorenzen, Eli Manning. And number 10 on the all-time passing list in the SEC, Casey Clawson, just about 170 yards or so ahead of Bo Wallace. The Iceman. Believe it or not. How about that? Who? Which one? Clawson? I think Clawson wasn't his nickname, the Iceman. Be- because he looked like ice from Top Gun? I, I Maybe. I, I seem to remember that for some reason. 
I might be wrong. There's a little bit of a little bit of a Val Kilmer look there, I guess, with the the spiky hair. I guess. Yeah, you're right. Clausen's nickname was the Iceman. How about that? Um, it's a it's a fascinating debate, and you know, David, the thing is, I, I joked about us starting with the easiest spot, quarterback. But I mean, w- when we start going through this, and you got to narrow this down on wide receivers, on offensive linemen, on defensive linemen who've gotten it done through, there, there's not an easy position group to pick the all-time best in the history of college football in the state of Mississippi. Oh yeah, no, it's it's an incredible state for the for the depth of talent. Because, um, like you said, you get into quarterback, you know, you think you've got the names on top of your head, but then you go, you know, deep back into history. You kind of go into, you know, all the SWAC schools, the Tottens, the McNairs. You know, Jackson State's had a few good quarterbacks and stuff like that. I, I'm curious, what what was your consensus top four between you guys? We haven't gotten we, there yet. I think we've come to consensus on three. Um, Steve McNair was actually kind of our clear cut number one. Eli Manning and Dak Prescott. And the fourth is the one that we're struggling with. And to be honest, the most difficult for me is what do you do with Brett Favre? Because we're talking only about college, and his college numbers just don't stack up. The arm strength was there, the big plays were there, the comebacks were there, but the numbers just don't work. So it's still a work in progress for us. Really appreciate, David, you jumping on with us this afternoon. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, I don't, you know, Favre, it, it kind of shocked me. I mean, I knew his numbers weren't out of this world, but it, it kind of shocks you looking back on them, just how kind of normal they were. Yeah, yeah. Pro career, was there was nothing normal about that. No, David, thanks for all. your time. Enjoy the weekend. All right. Yeah, thanks, guys. David Brandt from the Associated Press. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. The U.S. Women's National Team is advancing to the Women's World Cup semifinals after a 2-1 victory over France in the quarterfinals. These are arguably the two best teams that are in the Women's World Cup. And you would have loved to have seen them. Yeah, you would have loved to have seen them on opposite sides of the the draw, of the bracket. Uh, Obviously, Paris losing... On home soil, huge match today for Megan Rapino. Had two goals in the uh, the win for the United States. So they advance, and we'll have to wait and uh, and see who the uh, U.S. Women's team will play in the semifinals. Trying to uh, bring home that Women's World Cup trophy. That's pretty cool stuff. I didn't know yeah. that I was at all like interested in it, and then the match started. I had it on here in the office in the in the studio. And uh, first goal, we scored. There were other people in here, and I just go, "Woo!" Everybody's like, "What sporting event is on right now?" I was like, "Women's World Cup," and they're like, "Oh, okay." It's just one of those things. I think it's just where, a uh, a patriotic thing. Exactly. You, when you see the American flag, you're going to root for whoever's who's ever playing for it. Yeah. We've got 100 teams in 100 days to start the 4 o'clock hour coming up uh, a little bit later. We're going to talk some more quarterbacks this afternoon. We'll do that with Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line later in the uh, the 4 o'clock hour. Major League Baseball is hitting the road this weekend. Now you got a bunch of games that are, uh, that are happening um, all over the United States, but uh, happening in London as well. 
Yankees-Red Sox playing on Saturday and Sunday in London. What do you guys think of that? We're talking about America's pastime heading to uh, to Europe, European soil. I have the same take on that as I have for the NFL doing it. I get the business side of it, but I think it's a huge inconvenience to the teams. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, nothing's ever going to replace soccer for the English. That's always going to be their number one sport, just like you know, I, I'm not, I, as much as I like soccer, I'm not one of those. Oh well, soccer is going to eventually be big in America type people. Football will always be the sport in America. Soccer will always be the sport in England. So it, it, it has such an exhibition feel to me. It doesn't feel like it's a real game sometimes. Yeah. Will it feel like that though once the game starts? I mean, the exhibition stuff is all the stuff around it. The you go watch the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, and you have to fly across, and you get the the big hero's reception. But they're going to play in a big stadium with sixty thousand people there, and it's still Yankees Red Sox. So it kind of feels like once the game starts, maybe some of that exhibition feel goes away. Well, there's something to that, but at the same time, this is a you know mid or late June regular season game. So, I mean, how much importance does it really truly have? I mean, this isn't a playoff game, so I don't know how much it's going to really feel like a game that matters. Is how I, I guess I would put it. Now, not, not that I'm saying well, they should give them some October baseball over there in England. You shouldn't do that by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know. It's just me. Once again, this might just be old man Haynad, you know, yelling at the clouds. But it, it just, I'm just never a big fan of it. Um, Borky, do you like it? I'm fascinated by it, if nothing else. Uh, because I, I understand more why the NFL tries to go into Europe, because I think the ultimate plan, even though they won't tell you this, is to move a team there. Because football, you can pull it off. It's a longer flight, it's a longer trip, time zone adjustments, whatever. You can conceivably have a football team in London and make it work. Because you don't have six games in a week. So and it's not as hard for travel. I've always assumed baseball was going to try to do something like this in Mexico and the Caribbean, South America, where baseball is really held strong. I'm surprised that they are making an effort to go to England where anything more than just, oh, we may sell some jerseys or have a cute novelty weekend, there's nothing more that you can do there other than just marketing. I think the NFL is testing the waters, and they're finding that there's a huge NFL fan base in London. Huge. They could move a team there, and it could work. But baseball, logistically, it, it can't. So I, I'm fascinated by the decision-making to move there or, or to do games there instead of Mexico City, somewhere in South America, somewhere in the Caribbean, something like that. Um, London Stadium is where they're going to play it. 385 feet to straightaway center field which would be the shortest center field wall in all of the big leagues. However, there is a 16-foot center field wall, and Major League Baseball officials insist that it will play closer to 402 feet, which would be kind of about average for big league stadiums. That said, some of the Yankee players were asked about it, and they said, is the ball carrying? Uh, yes. So you may see a bunch of long balls in the uh, the two games that are played there. I think the players are excited about it. Red Sox are going to be the uh, the home team for the uh, for the games. You can watch the first one on Fox, the second one on uh, on ESPN. Yankees have hit a home run in 29 consecutive games. That is the longest streak in Major League Baseball history. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon. So, we got a um, a tweet from KT Vanderlip, the large dog. And this is an interesting way of looking at quarterback numbers. Now, it's only it's only looking at passing yards and passing touchdowns. So, in terms of passing yardage, Steve McNair's thrown for more yards than any other quarterback in college football history in Mississippi, 14,996. Second is Nick Mullins. Third is Austin Davis. Then you get to Eli Manning, Bo Wallace, Dak Prescott, and so on. Brett Favre. Um, But there's an adjustment that's made to try and relate passing yards to conference played in, or in which they played. In this particular chart, and I'm not 100% sure where this came from. I, I don't know if this is a... I mean, it's obviously one of those people that do analytics and stuff along those lines. So one passing yard in the SWAC on this chart is equal to half of a passing yard in the SEC. One passing yard in the com- in Conference USA is equal to three-quarters of a passing yard in the SEC. And so if you make that adjustment... You've got Eli Manning as the top passer, followed by Bo Wallace, then Dak Prescott. Then you get to Nick Mullins and Austin Davis. And even with SWAC yards counting for half of an SEC passing yard, Steve McNair is sixth on the list. I hate that concept. How do you even come up with that? Well, they call it a conference factor. Yeah, but how do you you decide that it's half a yard? You're just trying... Well, you're trying to level the playing field, and I guess maybe there's a picking that half a yard or three quarters of a yard is a little subjective, but you're trying to do something to make an apples to apples comparison. You just don't like using that metric. No, because uh, how do you know it's half? How can it be anything? And don't forget, Steve McNair also had a, t- a SWAC team around him as well. It's not like he was uh, running an SEC offense out there every weekend against a bunch of SWAC teams. It was him and a team full of SWAC players against SWAC players. That just that cutting his yards in half just because of competition does not make sense. And and not to we don't want to use the pro stuff, but the fact that he was such a great pro proves that he he was a great quarterback. He would have been just as successful anywhere else. You know, the the old legendary story is that well, Jackie Sherrill told him we want him to play safety. And, I mean, so that's sort of his Johnny Manziel, Mac Brown moment there, I guess. Because I'm sure if you could go back yeah. in time, Coach Cheryl would, would have definitely said, yeah, quarterback's no problem. Well, I, I think the point in all of this, though, even if you don't like the way that that pulls his numbers down in adjusted passing yardage, he's still in total yards as number one, in passing touchdowns as number one, and in total touchdowns as number one, and he's number one by a lot in those three categories. 3,000 yards better than Nick Mullins for second. 122 passing touchdowns. Nick Mullins with 87 is second on the list. Eli Manning's fourth on the list at 81. And then in total touchdowns, he had 155, so 33 rushing touchdowns. 
Dak Prescott second on that list with 111. And I think that just kind of shows you how dominant he was. And then to take his passing yards and cut them in half for this kind of adjusted metric and still have him with the sixth most passing yards in the history of the state of Mississippi when you're only giving him half a yard credit for every yard that he threw for, it's pretty remarkable. I don't I don't think that list at all was intended to denigrate or reduce what Steve McNair did, but maybe more than anything, show just how dominant he was as a quarterback when he was at Alcorn State. Um, coming up in our, our next segment, about 10 minutes from right now, we will be joined by Luke Johnson, talk some Southern Miss football with him, specifically quarterback play through the years. And there has been some good quarterback play at Southern Miss over the course of time. We'll get into that in just a little bit. How about this baseball nugget for you? Borky, you you uncovered this, so why don't you roll it out? So as of the start of play today, half the teams in Major League Baseball, one half of them are on pace to break their all-time franchise single-season home run record. The Angels are within one home run of making it 16 out of 30, which is just over 50%. So this is coming from stats people that are trying to, I guess, prove or disprove, even though Major League Baseball won't say one way or the other, that it's not just the effort to try to hit more home runs with analytics telling you that the home run is more efficient than three base hits, you know, that kind of thing, that it's actually the baseballs that they have been altered in a way that lets them fly farther, and therefore that is why you're seeing such a massive increase in home runs, not just because of analytics, but because the baseball has changed. So the baseball part of it, and I know you mentioned analytics, but don't we also have to give some credit to the approach? And the approach is based on what you're talking about with the analytics numbers, right? Yeah, the, the, the analytics home runs are worth that, more than singles, than are doubles. But guys' approaches, because of those numbers, they're just different than they used to be. And it feels like the, it's go- the player is also different. I mean, look, look at the guys that play baseball now versus 15 years ago. They physically look different. And I had an insert steroid joke here. I but, say, they don't look that different, but, it, but that's not natural. Well, yeah, but the other part of it is, when when's the last time? I mean, Major League Baseball has not had guys that look like Aaron Judge. No. And I'm not talking about, like, blown up. I'm not talking about steroids. I'm talking about a guy that's that size that plays baseball. I mean, that, that that's what he does. That's what John Carlos Stanton does. I know I mentioned two Yankees there. Those are just kind of like the two, like, Adonises almost. But baseball players haven't looked like that traditionally. No. Right? No, I mean, just racking my brain for a guy like that. And if they did, you know, they would play first, and that was it. You know, they would never be out in the outfield or anything like that. I'm thinking like a big guy, like Andres Galarraga is the first guy, for whatever reason, that pops in my head of just a big, you know, muscular baseball player. Um, the, the, a guy who looks like he could play linebacker if, if he had wanted to. Um, but you're right. I mean, and this sort of goes. This is sort of tying into the same discussion we're having here about these these football players. Is that athletes have evolved? People are just they're just put together differently than they were 20, 30 years ago. And you know, 
whatever you want to believe on that is fine. But, I mean, just the medical and scientific advancements in, in human biology and, and medical technology have just made for bigger, stronger people. Aaron Judge is 6'7", 282 pounds. I mean, he should be playing defensive tackle or defensive end for, you know, the New York Giants, not the New York Yankees. And I've seen, I mean, Christian Yelich, maybe he's not the best home run hitter in baseball anymore, but he's up there. And I see people say a guy like him shouldn't be hitting home runs. He's 6'3", 200. I mean, he's not a little guy out there hitting bombs. Andres Galarraga was 6'3", 235. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that, that's interesting to me, hey, Dad, that that's the guy you picked out that you felt like he looked like a beast of a guy at the plate. Yeah, but he was think, at that four time inches he was. shorter. Yeah. Yeah, four inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter than Aaron Judge. That's crazy now that you've given me that number. Because, like I said, in my mind, he's huge. But now you're telling me he was much, much smaller than Aaron Judge. That's crazy. How about Todd Helton? Height and weight for Todd Welton, 6'2", 195. Uh, Todd Helton is what I was trying to say. 6'2", 195? I think of him as a big guy. Former college quarterback. And, yeah. Gosh. It's really something when you put it in Giancarlo Stanton, 6'6", 245. How big was Mike Piazza? He was a little guy, wasn't he? Was he? Stocky, but... Short. I was going to say 6'2", 230? You don't think he was that big? 6'3", 215. Yeah. 282 pounds, and Aaron Judge looks thin. Yeah. I mean, he's not a heavy 280. (laughs) He's kind of a a well-put-together 280, if that's even possible. Yeah. Pretty incredible. So a lot of that factors in. So half of the teams in Major League Baseball are on pace to set a franchise record for home runs in a single season, and the Los Angeles Angels are one off of the pace. I know one who's not on the pace, right off the top of my head. That would be the uh, San Francisco Giants? Yes, it would. I don't think the Marlins are on an all-time pace either, although the Marlins are playing better baseball. Sports Talk Mississippi. Luke Johnson next. Farm Bureau phone line. Well, Jimmy Buffett on a Friday afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check in with our buddy Luke Johnson in the greater Hattiesburg area. What's up, Luke? Hey guys, I'm actually on uh, I-65 just north of Birmingham, but I uh, mean we're in we're in traffic, so this is a great uh, respite from uh, what's been going on. How are y'all on Friday? Right. We're we're good. Are you headed somewhere fun? Coming back from Kentucky, uh, I got 50 students so in, in a charter bus. We're heading back from summer camp. Ah, did you have a good week? Are you exhausted? Yeah, we're going to hit up Borky's house on the way in, sing some Christmas carols to him. <laughs> Wouldn't mind Borky it from you. Borky will never, ever, ever go away. We're going to sing Brett Favre's college football praises also. 
this actually happened uh, today. I received a tweet from Borky that said, Favre wasn't good in college. Exactly what it said. Really? Well, so so here's the deal. We decided that we were going to put together an all-time state of Mississippi football team. And to get there, we wanted to narrow position groups down to top four players. Or, I mean, you know, if it's offensive linemen or whatever, we'll, we'll kind of figure that out on the way. But we were trying to narrow it down to four college quarterbacks. And part of the way we decided to go about doing that was looking at numbers. And in comparison to some of the other numbers that we've looked at, Steve McNair, Dak Prescott, Eli Manning, and uh, Willie Totten, for example, the numbers aren't anywhere close. And we're only looking at college careers. So nothing that happened after Brett Favre left Southern Miss can factor into the equation. But i got to be honest with you, I'm having a lot of trouble going, yeah, but Brett Favre can't be part of this group of four. So help me understand why he should be. Well, I mean, to be honest, he wasn't in my four. Um, I think there's a different metric also. If you're speaking, if you're, well, let's start numerically first. If that's your metric, then I think Austin Davis has to be in the top four. And, and the reason for it is there's only three quarterbacks, uh, in, in school and state history that have over 100 touchdowns rushing and passing. Dak, McNair, and Austin Davis. People forget Austin Davis rushed for, for 25 uh, touchdowns. Uh, he only played four and a half games in uh, 2009. So if you look at where his passing yards would have been, his passing yards would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 12, five or 13,000 had he played, you know, all the games like that. So numerically speaking, Davis has, has got to be up there. But but a, a, a different metric uh, that I think really shows whether how good someone is is where was their team? Where would their team be without them on the field? And so you, you look at Reggie Collier is the guy that brought Southern Miss to national prominence. Um, first top 25 rank, first bowl game. Uh, it, it was Reggie that did that. And, and Favre was the same way. I mean, people forget that, that senior season, he gets 30 inches of his lower intestine taken out. Six weeks later, he beats Gene Stallings in Alabama at Brian Denny. That 1990 yeah. season, the, the statistics may not look good, he beat Schnellenberger's uh, Louisville Cardinal team that, that beat Bama 34-7 in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, that was their only loss that year. He beat uh, Auburn at Auburn. So I think that's one way to met, you know, a different metric to look at it. Where would that team be if that guy wasn't on the field? All right. So, so if I tell you there's one spot open that, that we've all agreed on Steve McNair, Dak Prescott, and Eli Manning, and that fourth spot can go to Brett Favre or Austin Davis or Reggie Collier, which one of those three would you stick in with that group of three others? If it's a numeric metric, then you have to put in Austin Davis. There's just no one else on that list uh, you know, remotely like that. Mullins had, had the statistics, and he turned around you know, the Eagles under Munkin. Um, but Mullins was a, a, a guy also the same way. He, he only played one complete season. He had one game, one season with 14 games, and he threw for almost 12,000. I put Davis in there simply because they got the 12 wins, they won a conference championship, and uh, he, he just really started as a retro freshman. A really cool story, too. You know, he's a walk-on. He signed a baseball scholarship. So numerically speaking, I would put Davis in the top four. 
I was texting with Rick Cleveland earlier, and he told me that Reggie Collier is one of the most unbelievable athletes he's ever seen. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he, he said a little bit. And said, if you took Reggie Collier and plugged him to, into a spread offense, it just simply would not have been fair for the opponents. It wouldn't have been. I mean, they're running a beer option. Reggie's the first quarterback to throw and run for a thousand yards in a season in NCAA history. Reggie was was about thirty years before his time. You're looking at a guy that's six four, two hundred ten pounds, runs a four 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 five easy. You guys need to go YouTube it when they blew out Florida State fifty eight to fourteen. I mean. He was by far the most dominant person on the field. Um, had He had a, a modern offense like what we're looking at. And that, that's the other thing. I, I know I, I listen to Borky's podcast about, you know, why Archie Manning wasn't included. And, and I get some of that, but you, you can't you can't strike a guy because he didn't play when, when football had evolved in, into a greater offensive standpoint. From a, from an athletic standpoint, Reggie Collier is no doubt in the top four, probably in the top two. It really is remarkable. And – you know, as we were going through this, I mean, we've talked about Willie Totten a lot, and you know, I think he maybe gets, whether it's fair or not, because of the system that he played in and who he had out there, people almost kind of knock him a notch because he was throwing it to Jerry Rice and they were throwing it all over the place in an era where most teams weren't doing that. I don't know if that's fair to knock him or not. But his numbers were also unbelievable. I mean, his, his numbers, he outdid McNair a few of those years, you know. So, yeah, you can't knock it. And, and let me just go back to that metric that you pulled out last segment. I would simply say from the Southern Miss perspective and the Southern Miss voice, Tarv and Collier, uh, they didn't have to have a, a, a chart to, to level the playing field. They leveled the playing field by going out and beating the big boys. I mean, Reggie was 3-0 and against uh, Mississippi State in his career. He beat Ole Miss. He beat Alabama uh, the last game at, at uh, Bryant-Denny for Bear Bryant. I mean, he, he beat him. And so far was the same way. I mean, they upset part of State down there. So those two guys, when you put them on the field, you know, they would just simply say that the playing field is leveled because we're on the field. And, and we, you know, we, we won. So uh, that's why I think it's hard just to put statistics, you know, out there as, as the sole metric of, of who's the greatest. Yeah, and I th- I don't think this is exclusively a statistics conversation that we're having. Uh, I mean, hey, Dad talked yesterday about you know putting Chad Kelly's numbers up against Eli Manning's numbers, and obviously Manning's numbers were better, but Chad Kelly played in nineteen games, or maybe it was twenty two games, uh, you know, a season and a half versus Eli Manning being a three year starter and playing in a few other games. But hey, Dad's point was, look, I I can't help but look at it and say if I need a two minute drive to go win a game. I believe Eli Manning's the guy that's going to get me there, and that's why I would put yeah. Manning in front of Chad Kelly. So, you know, there's just some subjectivity and eye test that goes there with it as well. If you had to pick four, you said that Favre was not on your list of four. Who would your four be, four greatest quarterbacks in the history of the state of Mississippi, college career only? In no particular order, McNair, Eli Manning, Dak Prescott, and Reggie Collier. McNair, Eli, Dak, and Reggie Collier. I think I that's think a really good list. The universe, I think it would help the universe if we kind of going forward move this list up to five and have a top five. But it may not create as much 
argumentation either. Well, the only reason why we did four was because Twitter only allows you to have a poll of four. So we're letting the audience vote for first and second team, and we can't add a fifth option. Hey, hey Borky, can we uh, can we just agree that Brett Favre was decent in college? Can I just get he wasn't a bad college player, and I, well, we're we're out of time for me to get into it right now. I've, I've been holding on to this for a while, but um, when you're going to do eras, it's so hard to compare eras. But the argument for why his numbers weren't great, at least the one that I got earlier, was. Well, that was a time where throwing the football wasn't really all that important. So then what you should do is compare them to other very good quarterbacks at that exact time. And you had guys like Ty Detmer play college football in the same time Brett Favre did. So his, his passing numbers, yes, he was good in games and beat teams. Compared to guys that he was in the same time frame with, the best of that current era don't hold up. Whereas Dak Prescott was one of the best quarterbacks in college football, numbers-wise and eye-test-wise, in his time. Right. Chad Kelly, same right. way. Eli Manning, same way. Brett Favre does not have that in his corner. Right. And that's true. One, one last, I know y'all about to go. One last, uh, one last name. I don't know if you mentioned Josh Bright at all, national championship on the Connerly. But this is a fun conversation. I look forward to the running backs next. Yeah. Well, I know who number one on the running back list is. I'm not sure after that. Yeah, Walter Payton. Maybe, maybe yeah. two, three, uh, and four. Yeah, I think we can agree on sweetness and then begin the debate after that. Hey, be safe on the road. Thanks, Luke. Hi, guys. See you later. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. You can text the show, get in touch with us that way. We'd love to hear from you. Want ultra fast LTE for free? Switch to a $25 unlimited plan on prepaid by Ceasefire for two free gigabytes of high speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Um, Here's a vote for Reggie Collier. This Bama alum saw him absolutely destroy the Tide in Tuscaloosa. That is from Steve in Oxford. Um, Not sure who this is from. My opinion is Ole Miss has had two players that, when healthy, were the best players in college football. That would be Archie and Patrick Willis. Altogether different debate. Patrick Willis' name Patrick will come up when we get the linebackers, linebackers. We talk about yeah. When we get to linebacker, Patrick Willis's name will be on there. No question. Yeah. You know what? what and it's not because Collier, of his though? pro career either. No, oh, he's a great pro though. Uh, with Collier though, everybody keeps talking about you know he's such a great athlete and he, he was a fantastic running quarterback and in a time where quarterbacks didn't really run the ball as much, but his passing numbers. He completed 50% of his passes. I mean, if we're going to go with a guy who completed just over 50% of his passes but was a great runner, am I going to put Nick Fitzgerald on the list? All-time leading rushing quarterback in SEC history? I am not. So so Collier's out for me. Okay. But he did something that nobody else in the history of the game had done at the time. At that time, yeah. I agree. I mean, he, he, he changed the mold for quarterback in some ways. Quinn's, Quinn uh, texts, he says, Collier was before his time. He said, I heard that when he was in Dallas, he ran the ball after the pocket broke down, 
And even though he went for 30 or 40 yards, he got benched and was told, we've got running backs for that. <laughs> interesting, uh, interesting way to look at it. Uh, I was a freshman at Delta State in 90. Southern Miss scored one touchdown against us on a botched field goal. Favre was out because of a car accident. The next week he came back and beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Josh points out that Ty Detmer, who Borky mentioned a few minutes ago, was Brett Favre's backup for a while in Green Bay. But again, we're not talking pro career. But if you just want to compare those guys side by side. Um, how about this? Trent says, if you're whittling it down to two, it seems like you've got a consensus three. So which two of those top three make the – well, you're going to get to decide that, or you're going to get to help decide that, Trent, uh, when we put the uh, the final four on the Twitter poll. So do we have a final four consensus or still no? Well, our three – we have the three, right? We have McNair, we have Eli, and we have Dak. So we're at the fourth right. guy. Who are we between at this point? I mean, the, the choices are what? Brett Favre, Reggie Collier, Austin Davis – Willie Totten, Archie Manning? I'm going Totten. I'm sold on him. I'm just going to be honest. When you say all those names out loud, and you're talking about the best player in college football history, am I really going to leave Archie Manning out? Uh, you're, I mean, you're, yeah, you and com- compare him to the era. So I, I've been waiting for this, and I'm glad I, I'm inserting myself into the opportunity. You can eliminate Brett Favre. Do it. Brett Favre can be eliminated from this conversation because if you use the era thing, look at what Archie Manning was able to do and where he was regarded at that time among other people at that time. What was he, a three-time Heisman Trophy runner-up or or at least a finalist? He was the best or one of the best players in college football in that era. Brett Favre, while he had a great NFL career and was supremely talented and beat some people, when you look at his junior and senior season, for example, junior year, threw for 2,500 yards on 54% completions, 14 touchdowns. The Heisman Trophy finalists that year, Andre Ware won the thing. So if you want to talk about era and, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, they didn't throw, a ball, throw the ball around that much. Andre Ware threw for 4,700 yards and 46 touchdowns. Guy named Major Harris was the second quarterback threw for just over 2,000 yards, but rushed for another 1,000. Ty Detmer threw for 4,500 yards and 32 touchdowns that year. Brett Favre's senior season, 1990, 1,500 passing yards, seven touchdowns, 54% completions. Ty Detmer won the Heisman that year, threw for 5,200 yards. So that era, uh, there was a guy from Houston, threw for 5,000 yards. That was a Heisman finalist. That era, while it wasn't like it is today, you still had dudes that threw the football around and really good quarterbacks that finished high in the Heisman voting, and Brett Favre was nowhere to be found, and there's a reason for that. He wasn't one of the best college quarterbacks in his era. The numbers and where he stood among the other ones back that up. So if we're going to talk about era, guys, look at it that way and compare them to the other great quarterbacks of that time. Brett Favre does not hold up in that era whatsoever in any of his years. I think I've talked myself into McNair, Manning, Prescott, and Manning. I don't know if that's going to be our final four, but I think that's kind of where I've landed on all of this. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studios, streaming online at supertalk.fm. More coming up. College Football Fix is next. Just after 5 o'clock with you on this Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Welcome to the weekend. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey taking the day off. He was headed to Atlanta to hang out with some of his buddies for the uh, weekend and still digesting those uh, those Pringles. <laughs> I'll never be able to look at a can of Pringles the same again in my life. He told me last night he wasn't sure that he was ever going to be able to eat Pringles again. Yeah. Um, He said that... Uh, he was going to give it a try in a couple of weeks, but he really he said that he was afraid that he was going to hear that crunch in his head and the texture of them, and he just wasn't going to be able to do it. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we will have to wait and see. I don't know. Borky's going back to dog food, it sounds like. Well, at least there's that. <laughs> Well, I mean, didn't you think that you probably would never be able to eat dog food again after you did it the first time? Uh, well, no. If somebody's going to get at that point in my life, if somebody was going to offer up another free bar tab, I would have done it the next day. <laughs> it was worth it, man. It wasn't. Oh, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Oh. It was worth it. Oh. When you're a broke 20, uh, 21-year-old... Um, yeah. You do things to get free bar tabs, man. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. How, how big was the bar tab? Don't tell me it was like $14. Oh, no, I ran it up to like 85 I was buying shots for everybody, but it was like one of those dollar shot nights still. I made sure to milk that. There you uh, there you go. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at, Mississippi, at mslandbank.com. If you're thinking about building a house that is maybe just outside the city limits or maybe in the city limits but not in a traditional neighborhood, you're going to build a house in the country, well, you know that the, the financing is a little bit different on that than if you were going to just kind of go the traditional route. But that's no problem for Mississippi Land Bank. They specialize in residential home loans for houses that are in the country. And so if that suits you or fits you, and you're in North Mississippi, give them a call or stop by and see them at one of their branch locations scattered across the northern part of the state. They're fantastic people to deal with. Maybe you're not building a house. Maybe you're just trying to buy a piece of property uh, that's going to be recreational so that you can have a spot to hunt or you can have a spot to fish or just have a spot to get away. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about all that Ford's got to offer, including the best-selling trucks in America for 42 straight years. That's the F-150. That's what I drive, and I've been driving one for a long time, several different models, and I can tell you I don't want to drive anything else. I've tried, and I went back to an F-150 after just like a month with a, uh, a different variety. There's a reason that it's the best-selling truck in America for 42 consecutive years. There are great incentives on F-150s and all the other Ford vehicles at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. And if you are a military member, current or former, 
or a first responder, there's extra special savings for you as well. So don't miss out on that. It's Ford's way of saying thank you to our military members and first responders. Um, on the college football fix front, you've got the Manning Passing Academy going on, and that's a big deal. And it's a, a, a big deal for a lot of college quarterbacks who go in as count, counselors. I think most college quarterbacks like the idea of getting a chance to spend a weekend with Archie Manning, and Eli Manning, and Peyton Manning, and learning, and also getting to spend some time with their contemporaries, other guys that are starting quarterbacks at schools across the country. And one of the guys that was expected to be there was Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Alabama's projected starting quarterback. But that's not going to happen. Uh, they had the media day today. Uh, the college players who serve as count- counselors meet with the media on Friday going in, and Tonga-Vailoa was not present. And so that was the tip that he wasn't going to be there. We find out that there is a lingering hamstring issue is that anything to be concerned about if you're an Alabama fan? In June, no. But how many times is he going to injure his legs in one way or another? That's what I'd be more concerned about. I mean, presumably a hamstring, especially since they're calling it minor, which in college sports, who knows how true that actually is. But if it's a minor hamstring injury, he'll be fine by August. But yet another injury for this kid. It's almost, maybe not yet, and this may be a little hyperbolic, but it's almost becoming the story for him. As he can't stay healthy. He's a great player, but he can't stay healthy. Knee injury for Tungabaloa that he played through most of the season last year. Two ankle sprains in the SEC championship game against against Georgia. Ultimately not able to finish that game. There was a lot of question as to whether or not he was going to play in the national championship game. He did. He was the Heisman Trophy runner-up last year, projected top 10 pick this coming spring if he indeed leaves school a year early, which you would think would be the case with Tonga Vailoa. Um, the, the one thing that we know for certain is that when healthy, Tonga Vailoa is just downright scary on the football field. It's like the game slows down for him. He's wildly accurate. He can hurt you with his feet. But he was absolutely a different player in the SEC championship game later in that game after the injuries than he was early. And, and I mean, I know that's not groundbreaking news. He tried to go. He just wasn't effective. So Alabama needs Tungavaloa to be healthy. And again, that's the case for everybody that plays quarterback. And everybody that plays college football that is a starter, that plays a lot, they're dealing with bumps and bruises and nicks and scrapes and cuts and ankle sprains and maybe mild knee injuries or arm injuries or whatever. It's just part of the game. It's a physical rough game. But a significant injury that hampers Tungabailoa's ability to move around changes the way he plays the game. And Alabama badly wants and needs him to be healthy. Period. Yeah, I tend to agree I tend to agree with Borky though. Right now it's not a big deal, but if there's two words you don't want to associate with your quarterback, it's injury prone. And you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Very, you know, he's 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 very elusive's not the right word. He's more shifty uh, when he's when he's running the ball. And you know, he, but that opens him up to take some big hits from from SEC athletes. So 
you know, it's a good thing that it's, it's happening now, you know, when, when there's nothing really going on. He's got plenty of time to heal up. A ham, you said it was a hamstring issue? That, that tends to be something that, you know, with rest is going to take care of itself. So he should be okay, but, but Borky's right. He's another injury away from this becoming an, a, a, a something you just a tag tag no no pun intended tag on to him of you know well he's a great player when he's healthy yeah is he the best quarterback in the country when he's healthy it's the debate we're having between Ooh. right now about quarterbacks the, the, the between him and Trevor Lawrence it is really. Really, really close. I would probably take Trevor Lawrence, but I would not have an issue taking uh, Tatua. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really tough. And you have a bigger sample size, albeit though with some injuries mixed in with with Tua. But what Trevor Lawrence was able to do last year, competition not near as good. But he played his best against the best teams anyway. I mean, outside of Johnny Manziel, is there a better freshman season at the quarterback position in college football ever? And, and Manziel a was a redshirt freshman, yeah, right? Say, you're talking about a true freshman. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think. And not many quarterbacks start as true freshmen, so that may be yeah. a bad question. I mean, you know, the answer might be like Jalen Hurts, to be totally honest. I said Jalen Hurts was really, really good as a true freshman. Yeah. I'm excited really to see good. him play. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I'm fascinated because Jaylen Lincoln Hurts in Oklahoma? Yeah, because Lincoln Riley gets this tag, and, and it's deserved so far about being a great play caller. Well, we'll find out because we've been told – and. Part of it is because we've seen it, that Jalen Hurts has been a little bit limited in the passing game, and that's kind of being nice. If he's able to run the table in the Big 12 and and keep that offense humming with the worst passer of his three quarterbacks so far. But what if if the opposite happens? If he tanks? great. Oh, if he's great, then Lincoln Riley suddenly vaults up into the Dabo tier of coaches. Yeah. Is there a coach out there who's more attractive right now to go play quarterback for? No. I don't know if there is right now. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon. You can be a part of the conversation if you'd like to on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Peter Burns from the SEC Network hosts the uh, SEC This Morning Show. And they threw out the idea of iconic plays in college football for the last decade or so. And Borky, that kind of got you thinking about iconic plays in Mississippi. 
Is that right? Yeah, because they brought up the uh, the Manziel fumble, roll out to his left, throw a touchdown pass in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, the kick six should be... I mean, if you're talking SEC only, that's the most iconic play maybe uh, of the last decade. Wouldn't you agree? With all of the things around it, it being the Iron Bowl, storming the field, and then uh, the radio call, which is an instant classic, and, and now that guy having recently passed away. There's a whole lot of icon in that. So they started talking about things like that. And I wanted to bring it back here to Mississippi, obviously, to see if we can come up with any good, you know, iconic moments. Maybe not like just a random really good play, but a, a an in-game moment. Like the 4th and 25, even though it's an iconic in the wrong way, for Ole Miss against Arkansas. If that doesn't happen, well, I, but yeah, but I mean, when you talk about an iconic play for one team, iconic, or, or for one team, it's iconic. But almost by definition, for the other time, uh, for the other team, it's going to be unbelievable heartbreak, right? Right. Yeah. So, so yes, I mean, fourth and twenty-five for Arkansas qualifies as an iconic play, even though it is heartbreak for. Ole Miss. I mean that, and did, I mean, they would have gone to the SEC championship and played a Florida team without Will Greer and probably won that game if that never happens. Uh, maybe the the Senquez Golson interception to beat Alabama in 2014. Uh, those kind of plays that you'll remember forever, no matter one good or bad. Hey, Dad, you want to? Uh, is there one that stands out for you? For me, uh, for if we're just doing football, Dak's run against LSU uh, in 2014, where he just he just went right, right up the middle, stiff arm Jalen Mills, and, and took it in. I think that was uh, six, was that early in the game. No, no, that was the la- that was the second to last touchdown State scored. LSU had scored in the third quarter to make it a seven point game, and that was the uh, the answering drive for Mississippi State. Okay. Is there another one that would be in the conversation? Uh, well, you just mentioned the fourth and twenty-five. Uh, I'll give you some more Ole Miss heartbreak with uh, with Bo Wallace's fumble in the twenty thirteen Egg Bowl. But I guess if I want to, you know what? I'll be fair and do the state version of that. The kick that blew back. I mean, how is that not one? Yeah, that certainly goes outside the the last decade. But I mean, that's oh, nineteen eighty. I'm sorry. What was that? Nineteen eighty-three. Eighty-three. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The wind kick, and everybody that was there describes that as de- depending on where you were sitting, and and what color shirt you were wearing, for lack of a better way to describe it, the reaction from part of the stadium was: if you're a Mississippi State fan, it was ecstasy followed by heartbreak. And the other way around, you know, depending on where you were sitting, if you're an Ole Miss fan, it was heartbreak. Oh, that's dead center. Mm-hmm. To know the wind blew it back, and then you go crazy. A few months ago, I was we were in the media room here at State, and you know, there's there's young guys here who aren't familiar. With, you know, Tyler Horkos from Texas and Ben Portnoy from Indiana, so they don't know a whole lot about that. And, and I just happened to bring up the kick that blew back, and they were like, "What is that? What are you talking about?" So if there's a YouTube clip of it, and as much as it pained me. I watched that, and it was like, they were they were both just in awe of like how on earth does something like that happen? Has it ever happened since? I don't think it has. 
Uh, you know what they say about prayer. that I can think of. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of heartbreaking moments for Ole Miss. Fourth and 25, obviously, is at the top of the list because... It wasn't, I mean, that was the play, but then it was the stuff that happened after, after the play because Arkansas goes on to score. They've still got to go for two and convert to win the game. Ole Miss gets a stop, but there's a face mask call. Arkansas gets another chance and then they get it into the end zone for the win. So there was a whole lot of heartbreak rolled up into a short amount of time there. And the Bo Wallace fumble, yeah, okay, that's one as well on the road, egg bowl. That wasn't for the win, though. Wasn't that to try and extend the game? Yeah, that was an overtime because the fumble ended yeah. the game. Yeah, if State was up seven, if Wallace scores there, Ole Miss kicks the extra point, we'll go to a second overtime. Yeah. There's another um, one here. I don't know if y'all mentioned it or not, but uh, we got a text from the uh, the 662. Uh, and I can never pronounce the poor kid's name. Adebayo's touchdown against Alabama, that crazy Chad Kelly pass. Adeboy Joe. Adeboy Joe. Thank you. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy play where he just turned and kind of wings it back and you know bounces off the helmet, catches it, and then play. he goes to the house. My reaction to that play was not safe for this radio show. I promise you. Fa- fairly profane. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be something kidding me. Uh, that was Yours was probably the same, but you were you were not as you were happy about it. I was I was not, so yeah. Um, Sinquez Golson's pick at the back of the end zone in the 2016 game against Alabama. Oh, 14. 14. 14. I'm sorry, 2014. If that play, I, I honestly believe this. If that play doesn't happen, I think Alabama's driving down and winning that game. Sure felt like it, oh, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, they, they had, they had, yeah, they had it coming for sure. Especially, what did they just miss the extra point, too? I mean, it was the most typical way to blow a game possible. You you play as good as you possibly can against a Nick Saban team like that. You had college game day, all that stuff. You score a touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown, and you miss the extra point. And everybody in that stadium knew Alabama was about to go down the field and score and kick an extra point to win this game, just like we all knew it was coming. Does that does it getting reviewed and having to wait that out take away from it a little bit? A, a little bit, and because at first you're just like, and, and it was incomplete, and then you know you got you got to wait it out. Yeah, and and the crazy thing is, you know, the other piece of that is um, when you go back and you listen to the radio call, they've had to go back and splice it together because I mean that's a call that you want to use on a highlight reel. Yeah. And so David Kellum makes the call, and it's incomplete, and now we got a review. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, no and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and then yeah. you get the ruling on the field, and everybody goes crazy again. So, no, that's that's not exactly how you want to draw it up. But 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 for, for that to be the culmination of that day, I mean, that's I, – I feel like people talk about that game a lot – but maybe don't make reference to how good a play that was by Sinquez Golson. Back to the play. end zone, ball was clearly overthrown. He's able to go up, pull it down, toe tap, get in the end zone, and keep control all the way to the ground. Over a guy that's and like he, nine inches taller than him. Yeah. 
Well, that's another how badly thing, the th- it was overthrown. <laughs> another, yeah, that another, too. Another play. Let's give USM a moment here for me, and it's not in this decade, but Tyrone Prothrow's catch against Alabama. That made one of those fantastic catches you'll ever see in your life. You're talking about the one where he got hurt? No, where he no, caught it behind on, the Alabama no. guy's helmet. Where he caught it, it behind oh. the guy's head. Yeah. No, I'm not yes. trying to talk about where the poor kid guy got hurt. Jeez. <laughs> Well, I mean, that would be altogether would be iconic all, for different reasons. That's right. Screw Southern. I hate That's what that was about. No, no, the one where he made that fantastic catch. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It's kind of fun to relive some of the uh, the cool moments, but remind me on Sunday, and I will I will record all of these and juxtapose them together for Monday's show. All of these iconic plays we're talking about. Just remind me on Sunday to do it, and I'll do it. I like it. That'll be fun. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon. Just a little while left with you. I feel like I spoiled it. I asked earlier what you guys were planning on doing for the uh, the weekend. Both of you had grilling on the mind, right? Yeah. Borky smoking a brisket, and Hey Dad was going to think on it. Have you been thinking on it? I have. But I haven't come to what a have you conclusion yet. I haven't come to a conclusion yet, but I have been thinking on it. What are the options? I might throw a couple pork loins on there. Maybe some wings, some sausage. Of course, I got you know I got to cook out on July fourth too, so. I don't know. I might keep it simple this weekend. Might, burgers might be the key. So maybe some steaks. I don't know. Yeah. Borky, what are you going to put on the grill on the 4th of July? I don't know what we're going to do on the 4th yet because we're planning on having a, a watch party uh, for the Gold Cup game that's on the 3rd. Uh, so that'll be at like 8 o'clock at night. But since nobody has to work on Thursday, and we were planning on going up to, to Nashville, but big pregnant wife and some other things are preventing us from doing that. You better stop calling her big, brother, unless you want to get you, smacked you, in oh, the head. She, no, she's tiny otherwise. She's a little girl. She's just got her, her belly's just my, my little I'm, guy's growing in there. I'm just saying you don't need to be calling your wife big under any circumstances. Unless you just want to get hurt. Noted. Um... <laughs> But so we can't do that. So we're going to have a watch party and do, you know, cook out all that stuff uh, on the back porch at the house. So the fourth may be like a hangover day. Slash, baby mama gets to to sleep all day long. There you go. I mean, we don't have anything cool. Our our neighborhood doesn't let us have fireworks, and it's the kind of neighborhood that people will call the police on us if we have fireworks. So you know, we just gotta. Go somewhere, and that doesn't sound fun after having a party the night before. I don't know. A couple of other you, responses on do? the um, for the Fourth of July. Yeah, uh, we'll be on the lake all day or most all of the right. day. Actually, I say we'll end up going to the lake that afternoon, um, assuming the weather's good. But Oxford does a Fourth of July parade, which sounds kind of silly. And it is a little bit, but it's like it, it, it's the probably the most local thing that happens in Oxford all year. You know, kind of like Starkville and other college towns. You get so much of the year where 
people are coming in for ball games or orientation or whatever, and the 4th of July is just not like that. It's just like just folks that live here or maybe you're visiting family. And so it's very Americana, like on 4th of July morning. And my father-in-law a few years ago built this uh, this little train car that you can pull behind a, you know, a Jeep or a four-wheeler or something like that. So we usually load it up uh, 4th of July with the the wagon and the train car behind the Jeep and pull a bunch of kids in that. You know, they wear their red, white, and blue stuff and, you know, not sparklers, but like the little pinwheel things and put bunting on it. So we'll probably do that the morning of uh, of the 4th on Thursday and then go to the lake that afternoon. Although it always ends up being more work than you really plan for that morning. Um. I saw, you know, Oxford has a good fireworks show, and I saw that there's a uh, there's actually a fireworks show on the lake the uh, on the fourth this year too. So something about fireworks, fireworks next to wa- next to water make them so much better. It makes it better, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Especially if you can like get on the boat and go drop anchor out on the water to watch the fireworks. That's pretty good stuff there. So, um, one of my good buddies that uh, I think we're cooking out July 3rd. Um, so, that'll be the lead into the 4th of July. You're having a watch party for a soccer game that's not World Cup? Did, did I hear you say that right? Morgan? Yeah, you heard me say that right. No, I've. I've got a, a small group of friends, as you can imagine. I don't have very many friends, but I've got a small group of friends, and <laughs> I, believe, I believe it. Um, <laughs> we uh, we'll watch anything if it's sports. We'll watch it, and we all watch USA Soccer when it's on. So we figured, you know, nobody works the next day. You know, why not? What the heck? Come over to the new place. Nobody's really seen the new house yet. So a bunch of excuses to get together and watch sports. It's nice. Love your backyard. Yeah, I, I still I, I have a vision for what I want it to look like, and it's just going to take a lot of uh, hard dad labor to, to get it all done. But I, I'm really satisfied with it so far. And uh, the sad thing is, I make purchases with my dogs in mind, and the dogs love it. So that makes me happy. <laughs> I get that. That'll change that. Hey, come October, was... won't it? Yes. <laughs> I won't think about the dogs yes. anymore. Yes. Uh, no, no, no doubt. Um, some responses on the ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five to iconic Mississippi football moments in the last decade. Greg and Nettleton, twenty thirteen, on a cold, cold night in Oxford. I was there when Ole Miss drove down the field and kicked a field goal against LSU to win the game. I'll never forget that one. Storming the field, that was great. Uh, I don't know about the storming the field part, but I do remember the field goal. That was um, who was that? That was uh, to kick the field goal. Wonderlick, right? The twenty third. No, it was uh, Andrew Ritter. That's right. Was that a walk-off winner, or was that the one where they kicked the field it goal? It was supposed LSU? to be a walk-off winner, but there was like four seconds left on the clock. Like they called the timeout too early. And so they had to do a kickoff after they had to clear the field of all the players and stuff because they thought it was over, and they had to kick the ball off, and that ended the game. I got you. I I was mixing up those two LSU games in Oxford. The one 
where Les Miles so badly bungled the time score into the game strategy and Ole Miss was able to hang on. That was when Ole Miss was, what would that have been, 2014 or 15? Was it 15? What, when that happened? The When he bungled the time? That was 09. No. Yeah. There was one that was fairly recently, wasn't it? When Mettenberger played, Mettenberger was playing quarterback and threw three that interceptions was, in the first half. That's the third. Ole Miss was game. down five defensive starters. That's the thirteen game. Okay. Well, whatever. How do all I know the, this? All the years run, and you don't. I don't know. All the years run together for me. <laughs> uh, Bill and Amory love the show. Listen every day. Don't want to be a buzzkill, but it hit me how many folks are paid money to endlessly discuss and debate things that have no lasting value or impact. But as I said, <laughs> I listen every day. Hey, thanks, Bill. We appreciate you listening every day. Well, it's because of you that right. we get paid to do that. So, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, you're you're right. It does. It doesn't have any lasting value or impact, but there is value in in what we do, right? Because in some ways, what we do provides an outlet. Right, I mean, it's it, it, it it's kind of scratching an itch. So there are things. Again, we are not curing cancer. We're not doing anything productive from an infrastructure standpoint. We might be causing cancer, but, but that's a different story. Oh, easy now. Um, but you know, there's some entertainment value. I hope. And it's is there something where there's an interest out there, and can you fill a void where there's an interest? I, for one, am grateful that people are so passionate about sports and football. Um, I'm with you. Uh, what are the others? Iconic moments. Oh, this is we, good. We got one. Millsaps and Trinity about oh, four yeah. years ago with all the laterals. That was, that was yeah. fantastic. That was fantastic. Isn't um, and that's a Mississippi moment as well. Um, isn't John Wiener on the call for that game? I think so. Keith says not iconic, but one of the craziest is the Louisiana Tech game fumble that ended up giving Louisiana Tech third and goal from their own seven. Third and ninety-three. Well, what about third and fifty-seven? Uh, Mississippi State, Florida. Where the Florida snapped it over Rex Grossman's head two times in a row. I'll tell you, I was yeah, I was obviously at that game. It's been louder in Davis Wade, but I don't know that's ever been crazier than when that second snap went over Grossman's head. Was that was that that was still Spurrier? Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, I had forgotten completely about that sequence of plays. Unbelievable. Yeah. Did they pull the center after that? <laughs> knowing Spurrier, I, I don't know for sure, but knowing Spurrier, I, I would have to think they did. So, Will and Yapora points out that we're not actually taking money from cancer patients, and that's good in his book. <laughs> no, leave, leave that to the folks at Our Lady of the Lake. Oh, go Tigers. Oh, but Richard, that money was never intended for cancer patients. All right, now we've gotten through this oh, whole I know. show. Without the NCAA. The whole show. Come on, guys. Stay focused. One more segment. Let's do this. You're the one that said NCAA, not me, brother. You You said it, not me. Let's put a bow on this week when we come back. Sports Talk.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.